flesh and devils often stir up trouble. We grieve and fret over things, or we start to grieve and fret over things, until we remember the knowledge of God, which is to be thankful. And we decide, instead of grieving and fretting, we're going to pray over the thing that's troubling us. And we're also going to think on things that we can be thankful for. There are many things each one of us have that we can be thankful for. And when instead of fretting over something that a person does to you or says to you, instead of fretting over that, if there is anything that you can think of that that person has ever done which brought you joy, think on that. Obviously, we don't want to live in a fantasy land about the person. There are people you have to avoid, if possible. But we don't have to live burdened and troubled by these people. If we will go in the way of God, we can overcome through God. There are many times that I have been with another person and they have started to trouble me and what they're saying. And I have said, oh God, please help me. Help me to say only what you want me to say. Please don't let me say what my flesh wants to say to them. Please help me. Every time I have prayed that, and I pray it while they're standing there, I'm inwardly praying for help. Because I know I don't, of myself, have the ability to do anything. I have to have the power of God to restrain my own flesh in the situation. So I'm praying all the time they are troubling me. I will speak strongly to them if God wants me to speak to them, but I don't want to speak to them in a strong way when it's my own flesh speaking. I have spoken many times to individuals in very strong corrections, but I don't want it to be of myself because they've annoyed me. I want it to be for the sake of the gospel and the truth of the word of God. So it takes control. There's a scripture in James 1 that says, If any man bridleth not his tongue, his religion is vain. You can say you're religious, but if you just let your tongue loose on another person, your religion is vain. It's in vain. We must bridle our tongues. We must, through God, stop ourselves. I have found that when someone annoys me, if I will just begin to think of all the times I have enjoyed the things that person has said or done, everything diminishes concerning being annoyed. So that's one way to go in it. 
Philippians 4.6 must be done continually by each one of us. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Thanksgiving turns things around. When we are inwardly thankful for what that person has done for us, a lot of the grief just vanishes. Now, if the person has done something against the Bible, that is another matter. We are going to have to turn with that and do what God wants us to do. And each of us have to have faith that God will show us what to do. And we have to have an inward desire to go in the way of God. There's a very different thing between the desires of our own flesh and the works of the flesh versus the works of God. It's important for us to understand how contrary these things are, the works of the flesh versus the works of God. We do not want to be phony at any time. We don't want to live in untruth. We don't want to live in some type of fantasy where we call good evil and evil good. That's destructive. That's deadly. No one gets saved that way. So we have to live in truth. But we have in us the Holy Spirit of truth when we believe in God. It is the Holy Spirit of Jesus. And he has even called that spirit the spirit of truth. So we live in truth in all things. It is a balance and a fine line to walk, but God enables us to do it because we belong to him and because we desire to do the will of God in all things. Galatians chapter 5 has some warnings for us. Verses 15 and 16. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. And this is really true. If you're always fussing and arguing and trying to set that other person straight, you can be destroyed in the midst of your correction, even when your correction is accurate. It is so difficult. You have to live in godliness. And you have to do corrections sometimes. But it has to be godly corrections, led by the Spirit of God. So he says, walk, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, that which God brings to your mind. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let's look at another section of Galatians. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Idolatry is a work of the flesh, and there's a great deal of idolatry in church groups. They do religious-type things that's of the flesh. It's of the flesh, for example, to cross yourself. That is not in the Bible to do this. It's of the flesh, we don't want to do those things. That's idolatry. That's reaching out to God in a way that is not prescribed in the Bible. 
and you're making yourself some type of God when you do it yourself by crossing yourself. That is not to be done. Lighting candles at church when you pray, there's, that's an ungodly act. That's a work of the flesh. It is the Spirit who makes alive the flesh, profiteth nothing, and sometimes even destroys a person. You can't trust in medallions that some people trust in, religious medallions. Often they're dead saints they're trusting in, or saint people called by the Catholic Church saints, like St. Christopher is, I think they call him a god of protection. I know a woman who has one of those St. Christopher medals over her sun visor inside her car. I know she trusts in him for protection. That is evil, of course. That's all idolatry. So we do not live in idolatry. Witchcraft. Witchcraft. Some things like, uh, for example, have you ever been to dinner with somebody when they click their glasses together? It can even be water glasses. It could be Coke glasses. Or it could be alcoholic beverages. I have been to dinner with people when they tried that. And I just let them click their glasses. I don't make any effort whatsoever to participate with them. Why? Because I don't want to be a part of evil works. I don't want to put my faith in some type of superstition. I don't want to in any way to be seen in that position. And yet I want to do it peacefully. So in times when I've been in that setting... I just sit there, sort of with my head down, and I don't make any attempt to join them. And I've always had them accept me that way. They just click their glasses together and go on and leave me alone. That's witchcraft. Witchcraft is putting your faith in something that's not God. Oh, well, crossing yourself would be witchcraft. You're putting your faith in something other than God. It's only by God in the Bible that we worship God. God uh, Jesus said in John chapter 4 that God looked for people who worshipped him in spirit and in truth. We have to worship God that way, truth. Continuing with works of the flesh, hatred, which we have all experienced. We don't have to learn to hate. It's like breathing in and out. We are born with this flesh. Hatred is one of the things that's natural to the flesh. Unfortunately, we have so much hatred in uh, sports and competitions. I enjoy football, but I try to keep a check on myself as much as I possibly can. I don't join with the fans in trying to put little curses on the other team with little hand signals like I've seen some of them do. I don't want to hate the other team. I don't want that hatred. Political things cause great hatred. I am very non-political. I keep myself free from that because such hatred is stirred up against the other people. First Timothy chapter 4, uh, no wait, it's chapter 2 I think. Paul tells us to pray for those in authority. We are not told anywhere in the Bible to vote for those in authority and to make choices. This is, frankly, an American thing. But it is not a thing of the Bible. Therefore, I, keep, I don't want to hate the other party. 
and they cause such hatred against the other people. I don't want to be a part of that. Variance is a work of the flesh. To vary is to debate, strive. Emulations is a part of the flesh. Emulations is trying to exalt yourself one way or another. You can do it through your physical appearance with clothing. Most women learn to do that. You can do it through uh, school events like your school classes, trying to outdo everybody in your class. Certainly you do it through sports. But hatred, uh, emulations is a part of the flesh. Competition is a part of the flesh. I once played bridge, and I would sit there at the Duplicate Bridge Center as we were all trying to beat each other. And I would think, I, I can't imagine Jesus or Paul at the Bridge Center trying to beat these people. Instead, we want to help these people. And I found such conflict, and I often prayed for God to get me loose from this, to get me out of it, and he did. I still wanted to be friends well, let's say acquaintances. I can't say we can be a friend of the world because to be a friend of the world is enmity with God. If we are their friend while they're doing evil, we're encouraging in their evil. and We can't take that position. We sure have to be led by the Spirit in these things. But emulation, competition is a work of the flesh. It's evil. Wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, Murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like. Paul says, Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. We certainly don't want to be doing these things of the flesh. And yet the flesh never dies. It never gets in better, any better. It never improves. Flesh Profiteth nothing, but it's always there until we die. So it is keeping the flesh crucified with Christ, with the Word of God, with the thing God has shown us. We crucify the flesh. For example, once I was meditating in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is edifying, that it may bring grace to the hearer. I'd been thinking about that scripture for days and trying to live in that scripture. I had gone across the street to my neighbor's house to visit with my neighbors. It was during the year when Mrs. Clinton was running for president, and I am so non-political, but I found it interesting to think about a woman being president, mainly because what would we call her husband? We call would we call him first husband? I don't know what we would call him. And it just, things like that intrigued me. And I let myself watch television news, which I usually don't do a lot of. But I got involved in that election thinking about it. I wasn't for her, I, but I was thinking about what it would be like. While I was at my neighbor's house, I wanted to say, and what do you think about the election? Now, will that be edifying to those neighbors? Is that going to bring grace of God? No, of course not. It's going to set the flesh on fire. But, oh, I wanted to say it. I couldn't believe how powerful 
that was my flesh wanting to say that. Finally, all the time I was sitting there, I was praying, God, please don't let me say this. Don't let me say this to them. What do you think about the election? Finally, I got up and left their house and went home. That's the only way at that point in time I felt safe in doing this scripture is just to leave. There are times you just have to walk away or there are times you just can't put yourself in a position of being with those people. Verse 22 of Galatians 5, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. Now, meekness doesn't mean you're a mealy-mouthed person. Meekness is you are meek toward the Word of God. You will follow the Word of God. Meekness is bowing down to the Word of God. Temperance. Against such there is no law, for you fulfill the law of God by walking in the Spirit. The Spirit will lead us in love, joy, peace, and those things. The flesh will lead us in strife, winning out, fighting, debating, exalting ourselves. The flesh wants to exalt itself one way or another. We crucify our own flesh every time we choose to go in the way of God as shown us by the Spirit of God. We cause our own flesh to suffer by going in the way of God, and this is what it means to suffer in the flesh. We choose the Spirit over the flesh, and that causes our flesh to suffer. Every time we cry out, God help me, don't let me say that, don't let me do that. Every time we cry out to God, we cause our own flesh to suffer. For God will answer our prayer when we really want him to help us. Galatians 5.17 For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. It's just like light and darkness. You cannot have both at the same time. The flesh is trying to win out. The spirit is trying to win out. We have to understand the flesh never improves. It's always there and it always does the works of the flesh, which primarily are to exalt itself one way or another. You won't ever get better in the flesh, and I won't ever get better in the flesh. We keep the flesh crucified by Christ, the Word of God, by choosing to go in the way of the Spirit of God, the Word of God which is always opposite to the flesh. So it is a continual battle. But we can win out in the battle. We who belong to God and have the Spirit of God in us can choose between the Spirit and the flesh. And we can deliberately go in the way of the Spirit of Jesus when strife is upon us.
and we can avoid places where there's likely to be strife. We turn everything around by choosing to walk in the Spirit. Peter tells us to be found at the coming of Jesus in peace, without spot and blameless. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. This means we have to live in continual peace. Keep ourselves in peace continually. How do we do that? Through prayer. Asking God to help us. Especially when we see our flesh starting to rise up in us to debate another person or to fight. We have to call out to God in prayer, asking Him for help. And by calling out to God, what does that do? It continually connects us to God. Jesus told us, Watch yourselves and pray always that you may be found worthy to escape the things that are coming upon this earth. It is not that you pray that you'll be worthy. It is that you watch what's happening to yourself and that you turn to God in prayer continually asking Him for help. For that makes you worthy to escape. It connects us to God when we turn to God asking for Him to help us. He has never failed me in all these years when I have said, oh, please help me. Please don't let me say that. I have walked away from the situation and realized, hey, I didn't say that thing I wanted to say. He's always helped me. Since we do not know the day or the hour Jesus will return, this requires that we choose to do that which allows us to live continually in peace without spot and blameless. For at the very moment you're arguing what happens if Jesus returns at that moment. At the very moment your flesh has risen up to do this thing that it wants to do, what happens if Jesus returns at that moment? Will he take you out with the church? Or will he leave you to let you go through the great tribulation? For we know some of the elect are going to be here during the great tribulation. We read that in the Bible. Well, keep yourself in peace without spot and blameless. Make this your goal. Work on it. Continually pray when the strife is about to arise. You don't have to go to another room to pray. You can pray while that person who's trying to strive with you is striving with you. You can be talking to God. I do all the time. Now, there are people who call themselves Christians, but they don't obey Scripture. I have an acquaintance who was like a daughter to me, and she attended a Catholic church. I gave her the Scriptures which say, Call no man father. She thanked me for the message, and she went right on going to the Catholic church, calling those men father. I gave her scriptures, uh, teachings that I'd done on idolatry. I sent her written materials on the subject of idolatry, 
crossing yourself, lighting candles, bowing down to medallions, statues, trusting in things other than God. For a year and a half after I mailed those teachings to her, I didn't hear a word from her. I no longer live in the same city where she lives, but we had kept in touch by telephone and email. There were no more phone calls from her, and there were no more emails from her for a year and a half. And then she sent me an email. I admit that I was frightened when I saw it was from her. What is she going to say? I opened her... No, I didn't open her email. I looked at... I could tell what the subject was. She didn't actually say anything. She was sending me photographs of animals. This was her way of reaching out, saying, I want to be friendly with you. I want to be friends with you. I want to have an association with you. But I can't have an association with her until she shows me that she's following Scripture. So what did I do about this email? Well, of course I prayed. I didn't answer it at all. I didn't respond to her at all. I didn't say a word. God, I feel, told me this about her. If she comes to you saying, I've done such and such because of a specific scripture, then pay attention to her. I feel she wants to associate with me and talk with me and communicate with me, but only on fleshly matters. That will avail nothing other than to pull me down. By the way I am going, which I believe is the way God showed me to go in this situation, God has to show you. He has to show you what to do. I think he's shown me what to do in the case of this Catholic woman. Now, another Catholic woman might come along and he might show me something completely different. If you're following God, then you're really following God, the Spirit of God in the case at hand. You can't do the same way all the time. You have to follow the Spirit of God that's in you. But in her case, I think I know what to do. Leave her alone. Don't walk in her path. No phone calls, calls, no birthday cards, no acknowledging of birthday cards. If she sends me one, don't even open it. Just throw it in the trash. These are fleshly things. They want to be friends with you. Friendship with the world is enmity with God, James 4.4. 4. You cannot be a friend to the world. You can't. Support them in what they do when they go opposite to the way of God, which a great many people do, which call themselves who call themselves Christians, they go in ways opposite to the Word of God. I might give them the Word of God a time or two, but then I've learned just walk away from them, admonish them once or twice, but then reject them. I don't have to have a big fuss or fight with them. Just disappear. Now, I wouldn't disappear where they felt maybe I was lying on the floor helpless. One woman in our church group tried to disappear from her relatives. They were calling her, and she decided to disappear from them. 
And one of, she said, one of her cousins was calling her several times during the week, and she did not answer the phone call or return the phone call. Now, I, I don't think that's the way of God in that case. And I communicated with her that you can't, you've got to know how to disappear. You can't just disappear. They, she lives alone. She had up to then been friendly with them. And all of a sudden she disappears? Well, they might think she's lying helpless on the floor. That's cruel. You, you can't be merciless. And God won't have you be merciless. I believe when you've heard from God, it will be a way that everyone can kind of stand it. But that would be greatly troubling to those people, those relatives, by her not answering the phone, she might be lying there helpless on the floor. So I just couldn't stand it. I communicated to her and told her I did not think she was knew how to do this scripture. I didn't. She was trying to avoid them, but I don't think she had the way of God in doing it. You have to have the way of God. There are certain people that I put up with for 39 years who troubled me constantly in our own church group. And finally, God worked it out to separate me from them. And then it was of God, and I really knew it was of God, and it closed the door on both of them. But you can't do it in a fleshly way. You have to know how to do it. And the only way you will know how to do it is by turning to God and saying, how do I do this? How can I avoid them? What is the way that I can walk in a godly way? and separate myself from them. So you have to do that. It is absolutely critical that we live in 2 John chapter 2, verse 8. Look to yourselves that you lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. They can say they're a Christian, but they do not have God if they do ungodly things. If they cross themselves at churches, if they bow down before statues, if they light candles with prayer, these are ungodly things. This is idolatry. We can't go along with that. We can't go along with this thing of calling a minister reverend. No minister in the Bible is called reverend. No man is called reverend. There's only one time in the Bible the word reverend appears. And it says holy and reverend is God's name. These men who call themselves reverend put themselves up as gods. We cannot do this. We cannot call them reverend. We can't go where they're called reverend and be godly. I'm sure of that. I wouldn't do that at all. We have to avoid these things. We don't have to have a big fight about it most of the time. Sometimes we might have to. We might have to tell them. But basically, I'd rather just not be around them, although I do tell them the truth. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. The doctrine of Christ is in the New Testament Bible for the New Testament church. 
one of the doctrines of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11, Paul said, This is a commandment of the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled with her husband. Now, churches aren't teaching that today. You can't be a part of what they're teaching. We must cling to the scriptures. So I wouldn't attend a church at all that allowed divorced women to remarry because all the scriptures show me this is not permitted. So you have to decide who you're going to follow. I had to make a decision early as a new Christian on this subject. They were teaching something at the church I was attending. They were teaching against tongues, that they were tongues were of the devil, is what they were teaching. I came across a scripture where Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, forbid not to speak with tongues. Yet the church I was attending, they were forbidding you to speak with tongues and teaching it was of the devil. I really didn't care frankly, about the tongues, but I cared very much about the Bible. And I made a decision, I will not go to that church that's teaching the opposite thing from the thing I'm reading in the Bible. I mean, this is just simple, basic, elementary, following God. You can't go against the New Testament Bible and follow God. And you can't associate with those people who are doing that. So it says, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine of the Bible, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Don't wish him well. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. So I can't do that. Now what if you're married to an unbeliever? What do you do then? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, but to the rest speak I, not the Lord. Now he's saying that is a commandment of the Lord for the wife not to leave her husband. But he said, now I'm going to give you an opinion. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. Now, to me, this means the unbeliever has to choose to live with the believer. The unbeliever would have to be pleased to live with the believer as the believer obeys the word of God. If he's always complaining about the word of God or if she's always complaining about the Bible, I don't think they're pleased to dwell with you. Paul says, But if the unbeliever depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Personally, I would not recommend that you as a believer depart from the unbeliever. But if you do depart from them as a woman, stay unmarried. Make up your mind. You will not remarry. Do what it says in 1 Corinthians 10. But whether it's male or female, I would personally rather see the unbeliever depart. 
from the believer. I think it is proper order that way. But all of these cases take prayer and understanding from the Holy Spirit of Jesus who lives in us. And you have to turn to God with each one of them with all your heart, depending on him to work it out one way or the other. But he does say, if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. Don't try to get him back. God has shown me to do that where certain church people are concerned who've left, who were constant problems to me. Don't try to get them back. Your flesh wants to try to get them back. Don't do it. Let them depart. Thank you for letting me speak with you today.